This season turn it up to 10. Sort of like a bad habit, we gon' do it again. Ready or not, we're gonna tie some ends. Go tell a 36, try to grab all the friends. We're back like we never left. On track like a treble clef. Skip a beat on the seventh rest. Bring feast, we don't pass them over. We got the first fruits, no way to show us. This yoke is easy, this burns light. Even with a loud mouth, trying to eat at the mic. Even if we down south, the humidity spike. Bales torn in two, so we gon' be alright. It's all grace till the half goes off. Heretics better run till the top blows off. Got them all stood still like a jaw full of Botox. Time to break them down like a jaw on a blow pop. Don't stop, they're in need of it though. Through grace, by faith, they could easily grow. New wave, new age, new way to see bro. Now, one truth, life, one way to his throne. April 19th, 2023. This is Messiah Matters number 426. I'm fighting the sickness. My name is Caleb Hag. And I am standing next to my brother wearing the army of wearing the army of God, the armor of God. There you go. There it is. How's it going? What's up, Rob? Hey man. It's life like. Life is I, I love spring. I've said it before. It's uh, my time of year, you know, the sun coming up earlier every day because I'm an early morning person. So am I. What time did you wake up this morning? Probably around five. And that's late. Yeah. I was going to say, that's that's late. I slept in. You did. I, uh, I was up at three, three this morning, not on purpose. Oh, not, not on purpose. 
All right. Uh, so we got some we got some house cleaning to do before we jump in. Um, and uh, we're going to let me just say this. There is there should be. I didn't even check the actual site, but there should be for those who have requested it. A zip up hoodie on messiahmatters.com in the store. And the zip up hoodie, now I didn't know exactly how I was going to do it, but what I did was I put the same logo that, that Rob has on his front, I put it on the back of the hoodie. And then on nice. the front of the hoodie, over the left breast, I put the 36 that's on his hat normally. Yeah, put that right there. Boom. It's looking slick. That's number one. Number two is um, all of our reoccurring executive producers, I sent you an email this morning. We do have Messiah Matters uh, Spring... 2023 art up. So if you are an executive producer and you have not purchased your executive producership yet, you can go to messiahmatters.com. And uh, there's several different things. This, uh, this, this, this quarter, I put up a, our, our average cup. And I don't know if you've seen the artwork yet, uh, Rob, but uh, I have not. But Mike is hitting on all cylinder, cylinders. For those who haven't uh, kept up with popular news that's going on uh bud light has made a big faux pas and everyone is out uh drinking coors light right now instead of uh bud light and so that's uh that's what we're hitting on this time uh mike made the uh, messiah matters logo look like the coors light logo it's awesome anyway um so you can get your regular cup or you can get a water bottle a stainless steel water bottle or you can get uh, pillows. I made pillows. So if you want your room to look Messiah mattered out, now's the time. Now is the time. <laughs> okay. Let's do it. Um, if you want to be part of this conversation, you can do so. Chegg at TorahResource.com. C-H-E-G-G at TorahResource.com. Or you can call our uh, toll-free number. Two five three four six five. We're not going to charge you. We're not going to charge you. We won't charge you. Your your phone company might. Messiah matters. Wants to hear from you. Leave us a comment, a question or two. Call two five three four six five thirty two oh five. I told you it would come back sooner or later. Here we go. Okay, so there's our phone number and. Go to Messiah Matters now. Get your producership if you'd like to. Also, you can buy all sorts of merch, including hats and a new zip-up hoodie. It is looking amazing. And finally, this show is produced by Tor Resource. Go to Tor Resource for all of your Omer counting needs. All right? Now's the time. You should be counting the Omer. If you're not, you can find all sorts of stuff on the homepage of TorahResource.com. And uh, there's also other things. I got to say, there is a lot of... Uh, I'm always surprised every time Dude, I get... we have a pom-pom beanie. <laughs> Heck yeah, we do. Dude, Sweet. are you... <laughs> I love it that Rob has no clue what's going on with his own show. I'm you know, like, we've been doing this for 10 out. years. <laughs> Man, this is awesome. Uh, and that is a sweet looking zip up hoodie. I, if I uh, looks good, right? Different colors, pillows. Okay, but I'm totally rabbit trailing. I want to see like where's this new design. I don't know. Is it up? Go all the way down to the bottom of the of the shop page to the executive producer. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Art. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. I like the mountains. Well, you yes, know, exactly. Mike did his time in Colorado, so he's he he knows how to he knows how to dial it in there. That's awesome. That's that no is no doubt. That is one good looking uh, mug artwork right there. 
Yes, absolutely. Okay, I, I, I've I've shut it down. I, I will no longer be squirreled away. Not a problem. All right, we got some objects. We got <laughs> a squirrel. We got a couple of things that we got a lot of things to talk about today, actually, and uh, that's good. Well, the reason that we have a lot to talk about, by the way, is because our our wonderful listener base continues to send us good emails um, and and phone messages, and so that's what we that's what we base the uh, topics of this show around, and. Some of you are going to uh, say this is the same old stuff that we talk about all the time. And you know what? A lot of it is. We uh, continue to go back to a lot of the same uh, topics you know, that's over funny, and over Caleb, and over again. That you say that because I read the Bible once and then I read it again and it said I, the same thing. Thing again. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but you know what? I picked up different stuff. Anyway, sorry. That was a it's okay. smart alecky comment comment no 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 but the point is is that and here's the thing is that we're uh, we're right on the precipice of hitting 9000 subscribers on youtube <laughs> which means that we continue to grow a a new audience and so for those of you who are new to listening to to, to messiah matters uh, we hope that uh, we hope that our our conversations actually do benefit you in some way, shape, or form. And so we do go over a lot of the same things over and over and over again. Today is going to be no exception. In fact, we're going to hit home a lot of our belief on the rabbinical literature and its time in its place in time, something that we have talked about recently. However, the fact that we still are getting comments on this and questions on this says that we have not yet uh, we have not yet exhausted the topic itself. And so let's jump in. The way, the way that we're going to do this is we're going to jump in a little bit different than uh, people would expect. Uh, let me go here to my notes. Okay, so Timothy writes in, and this is what he says. He says, I recently joined a theology discussion group on Facebook. I was sharing this with some people. And they thought that it was not right to have those types of conversations per Romans 14, 1, 2 Timothy 2, 23, and Titus 3, 9. Let's stop right there. Um, and we'll get we'll come back to Timothy's comment. I don't know exactly what he means by those kind of comments and or those kind of conversations. And uh, Timothy writes us on a on a semi regular basis, and so I'm sure that he can clarify for us uh, in another message. But ultimately, the the question that I'd have is, what kind of conversations are you having? I don't think it's wrong to ever talk to anybody about theology. I mean, I think that theology consume if we're believers, theology does consume our life. Uh, talking about the Bible, the text of the Bible, the laws in the Bible, the theology in the Bible, the things about God, and hashing out what we believe about God from a biblical text is something that we should do on a regular basis, and it's something that we will do on a regular basis because it's stuff that we love to talk about. It consumes our life, and so this is, there's nothing wrong with that at all. With that said, if you're trying and it's to about, go... it's about growing in confidence. Absolutely. In, in yeah. like, confidence in your walk with the Lord, not, not yeah. in self-boasting, but in confidence right. in, like, I understand what it means to be redeemed. I understand what it costs. I understand my obligations and, right. you know, all, all these things. How Now, with that said, I, I wonder, though, if the kind of conversation that a person, that this uh, gentleman, Timothy, is having uh, in these, conversa- in these uh, chat rooms is more like attempting to solidify or understand a theological topic. You know, when I was pastoring a small little church, uh, one of the things that was overly frustrating uh, was the fact that I would spend a significant amount of time with uh, believers uh, in the church talking about theology and talking about why the Bible, why I believed certain things and and why we believe certain things, the foundational issues of the church and 
what we as a as a leading as the elders uh, had why we had settled on certain foundational truths and why the church actually followed those foundational church, uh, truths and literally the next week they would come back and say yeah I heard what you said but then I went online and Monty you know I I contacted Monty Judah or I contacted 119 Ministries or I and it's like you know and then we'd have to go down the same thing and it was like in one ear out the other and so from that perspective, I, and let's actually go back to uh, Timothy's comment because he's, he's going to hash this out a little bit. He says, uh, and if I had questions about theology, if I had questions about theology, I shouldn't go to the internet, but to the congregation we attend. Also, that we should bend to their authority on scripture. Can I get your opinion on this? It feels technically right, but something about it is just sitting sideways in my head. Thank you. Yeah, so I think that uh, the scriptures say that the elders of a community are, uh, they're responsible for the welfare of your soul. And I think that what this means is that they are put in a seat uh, to help the congregants interpret scripture and then live that scripture out. This does not mean that leaders are not going to be wrong from time to time. And I think that the congregation has to help hold their leadership accountable to the scriptures as well. It, it is a two-way street. However, uh, when it comes to questions of theology, what we believe, um, I think that the very first place we should go is to our, to our leadership and to our elders. Now, with that said, you know, the congregation uh, that uh, right now my family is currently in a, uh, an interesting place where, where uh, the Lord is leading us in a new direction in terms of a community, and we are all, uh, all ears and willing to be led in that direction. However, uh, so we're kind of in an in a interesting place. However, the community that we were at for uh, just over a year uh, the leadership there, they love the Lord deeply, and their uh, theology was, they had some very, very good uh, biblical theology, uh, in, especially in the foundational issues. And uh, so in that, I had no problem bending uh, my, you know, bending to their authority in, in those matters. However, we went into that community knowing that there were certain things that we just did not agree with them on. And I, the very first week we were there, I stated that to the pastors. Um, not to be haughty or arrogant or to try to start anything. I just, you know, I said, you know, there's a couple of things that we would probably disagree with you on. And uh, one of the pastors said, okay, like what? And I mentioned a couple of things. He said, we totally understand that. Not a problem. There's people in this congregation who would agree with you and not us. And so certainly in, in those matters, you know, and I can name a couple. We're not Pado baptists but we were going to a pre Presbyterian church. And so the Presbyterian Church believed in paedo-baptism, and that's not something that I agree with. And so, um, but we didn't, I mean, that's not a salvation issue. We didn't have a problem with, with, that, with that, and I actually found it to be a fantastic teaching time for my children. Okay, I've talked a whole lot. Rob, give me your thoughts on, uh, on theological discussion groups on Facebook and or other places online, and whether or not a person should be getting their theological uh, guidance from those groups. Well, I... In terms of, uh, like, the applicability of Romans 14.1, I think they, they cited, <clears throat> pardon me, I don't think that scripture applies um, any more than if, you know, if you went out to a, a tavern and you're drinking beer around a table and people are talking different theological points. I don't think 
theological discussion should be off limits um, in any situation. Romans 14 has a very specific uh, theme. That's where you have leaders who are teaching the scriptures in the right. And if you take Romans to be written in the whether early 50s or late 50s, there's still a temple. I mean, he's teaching the Torah. Paul's going to synagogue. So it's a, it's a synagogue situation. Um, and he's the presumption is that the Torah is being taught as Yeshua under Yeshua's authority of, of the gospel message and understanding it that way. And that different people could come who have different backgrounds, like, oh, you know, I I call, you know, I don't eat certain kinds of foods that you eat, not clean, unclean, but this whole koinos thing, you know, like we've seen, we've talked about this a lot of times too, you know, the, all the different kinds of stamps of kashrut. Right. You know, like there's there's some Orthodox Jews that won't eat the meat that other Orthodox Jews slaughter, right? right. So it's, we're not talking about clean, unclean. We're talking about sectarian quibbles. And that's what that's what we have to recognize as being talked about in Romans 14. That It's that kind of thing. People bringing those kinds of quibbles and trying to stir up the thing. And, and what those do, what Paul's trying to protect the space for is for the preaching of, of Yeshua as, you know, fulfilling the scriptures and et cetera. So people come in and they want a quibble to stir up and distract from that, that goal. It sounds to me like what, what this person is encountering, which probably many of us have, probably all of us is some sort of chat group or forum where there's kind of some sparring. Like, are you, are you a Trinitarian (laughs) or like, or, uh, or, uh, you know, well, how do you say the sacred name, right? You know, and right. stuff like this. And then people like want to argue. Um, and uh, I think that there's a, I, I don't do the jujitsu. I know, Caleb, you do. But there is, a, I think there's a, a place for that sort of thing. Because, you know, some people, maybe the person who's emailing us now, maybe others, feel a little bit destabilized by some of the winds of doctrines they hear out, they hear out there. And they're like, ooh, I, I'm not sure where I stand. Well, guess what? You got work to do, right? You got some work to do because you want to stand strong. You want to build on the rock, right? You don't want to be blown around by winds of doctrine. Well, guess what? Adopting another wind of doctrine is not going to help you stabilize. That's why, you know, like we talked about during Passover, the lies that the Easter bunny is from Babylon and stuff like that. It's like you you can't, if you try to combat a lie with another lie, Guess what? It, you yeah, know, no work. one's grown. No, no one's faith is strengthened. No one's roots are deeper in the in their walk with the Lord. Only in truth, right? Do we grow stronger? And so these kinds of little sparring, whether it's in person or through an internet chat with an anonymous person with a funny handle, you know. You know, I, I've had a I think we've had a gazillion of these, all of us probably, times where right. we're like, ooh, you know what? I don't know how to answer that question. You know, I don't know. Well, Guess what? That's going to stay unknown until I do some of my own homework. And uh, that's the nature of the the internet. I think it's uh, really intensified and increased the frequency of these kinds of little sparring matches. Yeah. Um, But wouldn't you agree that perhaps the first place a person should go is to their spiritual leadership within their community? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of, yeah, finding like, okay, you know. Because that's, I mean, the ideal, the ideal picture of of your spiritual community is where you're getting fed. It's where the the flock is getting good 
nutritious food and fresh water, which is, you know, metaphorical for pure teachings from the Bible, right? Sound doctrine. And uh, they're hearing the word of God preached and taught and, and they're drawn into it and they're, they're learning and growing in the truth. And um, you, you can't get that through internet chat group kind of thing. Right. Right. Especially when you don't, because it's, it's disconnected from real people. I've, how many people have we talked to on the internet and like in those theological groups and nobody knows anybody's first name, you know, um, it's some kind of, you know, name, which, which I, I'm all for an, anonymity, you know, so that I'm not criticizing that. I'm just saying, it just shows you that when there's, when you don't know who it is these days, it could be AI. You could be sparring with, a, with an AI anti-missionary, you know? <laughs> so uh, I don't know. Uh, but I don't, I don't think those scriptures apply that. I mean, basically to that, I don't have any problem with theological sparring. I think it's, it, it's necessary because you, I think, you have I think to, it is necessary. You have to learn. You have to know. You have to. I mean, it says, "Be ready to be studied. Be ready to have an answer for the hope that's in you." You know, be ready. I mean, that's your top job. Like, what what do we have that's more important than like than our walk with God and like learning? You know, what does it mean that He's God and I'm 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 not? <laughs> you know, and I'm I'm a human and and what is my sin problem and, and how, how is it resolved and what is God's grace? And, and, you know, what does it mean to be in this world, but not of this world? You know, these are big questions and guess what? They're going to take your whole life to pursue and they got to be at the top of the list. They can't be down. I'll do it next Thursday after I do all these other things for the world. You, you've got to put it first. I've, I've rambled a bit here. That's totally fine. Um, so two comments. We'll just touch on these real quick and then we're going to move topic. Well, kind of. Uh, to, uh, Timothy actually started us off on a trajectory that we are going to continue on. But uh, Highlander the Great says, uh, do you think there is a difference between the Torah as Yeshua taught when he was alive and the Torah after his death and resurrection? Can it have changed? I personally do not believe that the Torah has changed. I know that there are many who would consider themselves to be pronomian. That just means pro-law, and there's different uh, levels of pronomianism. Um, mm-hmm. There are some pronomian, pronomian believers who would say that the temple service has been had, has been done away with or changed. I don't believe that personally. I would be on the radical end of the spectrum when it comes to pronomianism, as I believe that. Um, as I believe that the Torah will be reinstated. And uh, we see this, I think, in Ezekiel, and I believe that uh, the Messiah will reign from the temple and that uh, there will be sin sacrifices again. Uh, with that said... Uh, so he's not another... saying that does the text of the Torah changed. He's not saying did the scribes start changing the way they were writing the Torah, or he's talking about how the Torah was understood or applied I guess yeah, I, I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not exactly sure where the question came from. So uh, I okay. Not, I'm not sure. We'll, we'll have to wait for uh, for Highlander to uh, to respond. But then we have another comment. I don't understand the constant need to stir the pot in a community over silly things. It's so distracting. Uh, this is followed up with uh, with I agree with you. Going to your leadership for questions, especially when there's sound doctrine and structure, not seeking two minute theological videos on YouTube. Yeah, I I agree. I think that. Uh, there's a, 
once again, just going back to my own personal experience, and I know that everybody has a different experience, especially when it comes to community. Um, some of the some of the uh, people who have written in to us clearly have had a very different experience within various communities than I have had, and so uh, I don't. I, I'm not trying to diminish anyone's um, own personal experience within in a believing community. However. Uh, my family just decided that there were certain things that we knew we were going to disagree with and some very small things up to some very, what I would consider very large issues um, uh, in the community that we were going to attend and that we weren't going to stir the pot over those things because we didn't think that they were foundational issues. And um, so I will admit that that was difficult for us at certain times, but um I think that what it did was it helped us build uh, lasting relationships with the people at the church that we were at, even to this day. Uh, and and uh, I, I hope and pray that those, uh, that those relationships will not only last here, but will echo into eternity. And, uh, and I believe that they will, because they weren't founded on the disagreement, the small disagreements that people get upset about, but they were founded on the, on the agreements that we had in the foundational issues of the truth. And, uh, and so that's, so I agree. I agree completely. That's where it's okay. at, right on. Let's move on. So, um, let me get back to my notes. Sorry. Okay. Um, with this kind of uh, mindset going. Actually, I got to go to my emails here. So Timothy then wrote in with another um, with with another question. Um, and this is a much longer question. We're not going to read the whole thing. But uh, this is a conversation that he's having with someone. And I don't even know how to frame this. Um, we'll read a little bit of what Timothy has to say in his email. Um, but it seems to me, I, I kind of want to set this up a little bit. It seems to me that uh, the person that, I don't know the person that he is is debating with, it looks like they're going back and forth uh, in, in paper format, which means like they're writing papers to each other. So Timothy writes a paper, the opposition writes a paper, back, forth, back, forth, like they just keep writing papers to each other. And what I'd say about this conversation is this. I personally would not... You know, Timothy can do whatever he wants. I, I, this is not meant to uh, lead Timothy in any way, shape, or form in the direction that he's going with this conversation. He can, he can steer this ship however he wants to. I personally would not continue this conversation. And the, and as, and the reason why is because, as will be seen, uh, the person that he is debating with is all in on their, on their position. There's no, he, unless there is a work of the Holy Spirit, which certainly could happen, uh, Timothy is not going to persuade this person. This person has, has eaten the rabbinical fruit. That they're, what, is, what, is Rob's, what does Rob say? They have walked through rabbinical candy land and come out with the, uh, with the you know, the, 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 the suckers stuck to them and the gumdrops uh, stuck to them and all that kind of stuff. They, and, and they're not, it's, it's not going to change. They're not going to change their, their view. And the reason I say that is because of the way that they are, are arguing this. So with that said, let's, let's key everybody in uh, on, on this conversation. Timothy writes in and he says, I understand both of you are busy, so on and so forth. With the information you gave uh, plus some research of my own, and this is on the term paradosis, uh, traditions, 
Uh, so uh, he says, I wrote a paper refuting the opinion that the word in its context of uh, both 2 Thessalonians 2.15 and 1 Corinthians 11.2 didn't mean the Jewish oral traditions, and I made the case that it means the teachings of the gospel. I've added my original and the response papers to the email, which we'll look at, uh, at some of these uh, specific exa- examples. I handed it to the person who made the statement about paradosis, and they responded. So in the follow-up paper, it's pointed out that following tradition for tradition's sake isn't the point. The point is that if traditions point to Messiah, there is value in it, and there is use for it. Now I have have uh, seen Tim Hague's video on the Mishnah, did, uh, did what version of the Mishnah did Paul read, but I feel like the likely response will be, yes, it wasn't written down, but it was taught orally in the first century, so Paul still would have known it. Okay, let's stop right there, and, and Timothy's going to give us examples, and we'll just go straight to the paper, uh, the response paper, and I will talk about this for just a second, and then I'm going to shoot this over to Rob, because Rob's really going to hammer home. Um, so, uh, okay, let's go back to the last statement there. Uh, yeah, pull up the email so I can. So here, here's the last, the last statement. I feel like I feel like the response is going to be yes, it wasn't written down, but it was taught orally in the first century, so Paul still would no, have known it. Let's take this right here. This is a suggestion that has no basis in evidence. There's no evidence that the oral Torah the Mishnah or the Talmud was extant in the first century. We just don't have it. So while this person might believe that... Well, the, the rabbis will tell you it was there. <laughs> yeah, of course. But if you go to the rabbis, they're going to tell you it goes all the way back to Moses, that Moses had it, and that Moses received a second, yes, second Torah at Mount Sinai that right. was never to be written down. And it was only transmu- transmitted orally from Moses to Joshua, all the way down through the exile, right? Through through the time of the judges, through the kingdom of the Davidic kingdom, Solomon's temple, through the destruction of the temple, through the Babylonian exile, through the return and the building of the temple, through the end of the Persian era, through the Hellenistic era, right? Through the Roman era. And it's only in the second century or the end of the second century when Judah the prince decided, you know what, I should write this down. Somebody should write this down. That that's the tradition. Uh, that's that is that's the Orthodox Jewish tradition. So right. so the idea is 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 he is that what these other people are suggesting? But when they say, oh, it's Jesus would have known these, Paul would have known these teachings, and they're, yes, they're traditions. Yes, they're not in the written Torah. We admit they're oral, uh, but they still pointed to Yeshua. So therefore, are they taking the full Orthodox position, which is yeah, uh, Moses received a second oral Torah that pointed towards Yeshua, and it, it's now. To properly read the oral Torah, then, is to read the Mishnah and the Talmud and interpret it as pointing to Messiah. Yeah, I, maybe, maybe even those passages in the Talmud that says he's boiling in excrement. Right. I, I it's. Here's the thing, though. Okay, here's the thing. We are told that Yehuda Hanasi 
Yeah. Judah the, the Messianic Jewish rabbis, this is one place where they actually are making things worse. Right. Because but, they're institutionally holding a space up where people can think these thoughts over and over and over again, year in, year out, read their books, and actually start to imagine that Jesus is just one of the rabbis. Right. Right. He's he's one of the one of the disciples of the sages, you know. Yeah, the, the, I mean, even the the tradition of it being written down doesn't come around until when? It's it's way late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the rabbis yeah. don't start talking about Yehuda Hanasi writing down the Mishnah until like the 10th or 11th century, maybe even later. It's super late. And so once again, let's just go back to the, to the time frame here. This person says, okay, well, the... The oral Torah was extant in the first century. Okay, we're going to need proof for that. You're going to have to show receipts for that. And, and that's fine if you want to believe that. But that's not grounded on any evidence whatsoever. And so, therefore, you're going to have to show receipts if you want to sway anyone else to that belief. And what Judaism, the Judaisms have done you know, for so long is they've just said it over and over and over and over and over again, that now it's a talking point that everybody just believes. If you actually pull on that thread, if you actually say, let's get proof for that, guess what? There is none. It's just a tradition that has, has continued on through history. Well, and, and, and if Yeshua in, like we read in Mark seven or Matthew 15 says, you have traditions that you hold to and in you holding to your traditions, you nullify the commandments of God. So what, what traditions are Yeshua talking about there? Did Moses receive contradictory traditions? One Torah that is the word of God and another that's the, the tradition of men that nullifies the, the, the word of God. And he transmitted both down all the way. And so Yeshua is calling him out on this. No, Yeshua says you've built up a new religion and you're sprinkling it. Just like the, the golden calf, where they said, this is the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, this golden calf, they're sprinkling it with language from Torah to make it seem legit so they can feel special and holy. Now, the and that they, are... can, they can avoid, avoid their sin by focusing on all these minute external minutiae, more, just infinitely more tiny little nuances. And that's why Yeshua says you strain the gnat and guess what? You swallowed the stinking camel. Right. And, and so, yeah, yeah. here's, here's like, the yeah. thing is that people always point to the same passages that want to argue this. They'll say things like, oh, it mentions the Sabbath day journey. Well, the Sabbath day journey isn't defined until, until the Mishnah or, you know, or no, we have it, it at Qumran. We have, we have a different, that's the other thing. If you want to say an oral Torah is the community's oral teaching about Torah, then we have, we have oral Torahs in the first century. Exactly. The, the Sadducees have their own rationale and, and the way they authoritatively are teaching the Torah. The Pharisees have it. The Essenes have it. The Samaritans, the Samaritans have a Pentateuch and they have, they have a, a whole tradition as to why they don't accept the Davidic dynasty or Jerusalem and why they privilege Mount Gerizim. So, yeah, th this is, uh, go, go ahead and say what you're going to say, because I, I wanted to address a few of the things where they're ex they gave examples. 
Yeah, I want to give an example first of what this, it, let's liken this, and, and my wife helped me on this. Uh, this I, I got to give credit to my wife on this one. Because I said, I, I, she said, what are you talking about today? And I said, we're talking about uh, the place of Mishnah in time, the Mishnah and the Talmud in time, because there's people who claim that uh, Paul and Yeshua were quoting the Mishnah. And I said, that would be like if we said that Abraham Lincoln was quoting, and my wife said, Wikipedia? And I said, that's a perfect example. It, here's the thing, is that you have what people will point to as, oh, see, look, there's this whole thing on hand-washing in Mark 7. That was, that's Mishnah. That's, that's the oral Torah. That's the, that's the Talmud. But the thing is, is that the earliest writing that you have of it is the Gospels. It, it's not the Mishnah. The Mishnah doesn't come around until four to 600 years later. And so you can't say, oh, it, that would be like saying, well, Mish, uh, Wikipedia said it first. You know, in Abraham Lincoln's uh, Gettysburg Address, he's really just quoting p parts of Wikipedia. And somebody's going to say, that's ridiculous. Uh, Wikipedia didn't come around until the, the 2000s. And I would say, yes, but the information in it was known long before then. And Abraham Lincoln is just, he's just, he's just quoting the, the known tradition that was a lot. And people are going to laugh at that and say, oh, ha, ha, oh, it's not the same. It's exactly the same. What you have is you have something written and they are responding to. They are responding to the Gospels. It's not, it's not that Paul is, is, is relying on the Mishnah. It's the other way around. They are actually reading the Gospels, they're reading Paul, and they're, in parts of the Mishnah and the Talmud, they're reading it and they're saying, how do we respond to this? And then they write entire tractates that deal with these things. So it is quite literally like someone saying that, that Abraham Lincoln references Wikipedia in his Gettysburg Address. It is the exact same claim, except for, except for Wikipedia is written closer to the Gettysburg Address than the Mishnah was written to Yeshua's words and Paul's words. Think about that for a second. Okay, let's go to some specific claims here. Um, do you you want to take over on this? Well, I wanted to, yeah, there, there was just a, he included the, the some of the examples they give. So this is Timothy saying some of these examples. One is, it says 1 Corinthians 10, his reference is a reference to Midrash Bemidbar uh, Rabbah. Okay, so the Numbers Rabbah is a Midrashic compilation for that's probably, I don't even know if it's a thousand years old right now. It's closer to us than it is to the first century. It's, it, this is just, I, it's almost like <laughs> you got it, like Caleb, like you were saying. You almost just got to say, you know what, there's no real conversation happening here. You know, the first um, Corinthians 11, 14 reference to Mishnah Soter, it should be Sota 10. Yeah. Um, yeah, I couldn't too. find it. it looked in, you know, okay. So here, here's, here's another point. It's clear that if these are what these people said, these people themselves need to, take a class on rabbinic literature because the um, they're, they're mismatching. It would be like saying fourth, fourth Corinthians, you know, <laughs> chapter two, 
And then you'd say that's in the Old Testament or something like that. You know what I mean? It's like, wait a minute, you know, it's like not, you're using all the words, but they, but they together, it, it shows that there's not a real grasp. Um, yeah, all of the places that the person that T Timothy is debating with, all the places where he says there is a quote of rabbinic literature, there's no quote. There's the same concepts, yeah, but there's no quote. So, oh, and first the of all, Lord's prayer is lifted from the Amidah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, uh, so, so these are things where, you know, there's 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 a shift. Probably in the 1800s, this type of thinking was really the thinking that you'd see in the universities that were studying ancient Near East, and they were studying. You know, they thought, oh, we're, we're here we have these ancient rabbinic texts, and they're going to somehow give us the background for the Gospels. And people did this, you know. And then you get to an, an expanded view like Alfred Edersheim, who at the end of the 19th century is like, well, we'll look at rabbinics, but we'll also look at Philo of Alexandria, we'll look at Josephus, and we'll kind of try to use all these sources as a background. And so you can see his, you know, is it Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah? Is that one of right. his, or the Temple, Alfred Edersheim? Okay, so if you if you want a taste of someone who's who did their time in that world and tried to read the gospel in that light, there's books that are over 100 years old where people have done that better than these guys you're talking with, Timothy. Right. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. but Edersheim still had serious methodological problems that kind of emerged more and more as the 20th century went on, especially with the Dead Sea Scrolls. And like we've talked about before, the work of Jacob Neusner, the work of E.P. Sanders, and kind of this transition in the 70s and 80s to try to go, wait a minute, yeah, we don't, we're, we're just, we're really, this is our term, you know, we're really playing rabbinic candy land here. There's no method. We're just picking and choosing things that sound like parallels, and then we're insisting on it. But there's no, you can't do that. And, and especially then you have in the last 20 or 30 years, the emergence of scholars that are, these are Jewish scholars that are saying, yeah, we can no longer deny that the Babylonian Talmud uh, in key places, it evidence that they were reading the gospel of John or they knew, they knew of it, you know? And, and so it's like, hmm, okay. So now we've changed, instead of reading the gospels as part of the reception history of oral Torah, they're like, yeah, we can't do that anymore. We have to read oral Torah as in the reception history of the gospel. It's yeah. like reverse the order. And uh, it makes sense because that's the one weakness, the one weakness that the rabbis couldn't handle, the Achilles heel, if you will, was that all their traditions were after were post-destruction. And and they were they kept they had to deal with this teaching of this super sage miracle worker Torah teacher who was crucified and resurrected, that was all before the temple was destroyed and built built discipleship communities that grew and grew and grew and grew before the temple was even destroyed, and the rabbis are trying to they're like man we, in other words the rabbis were destabilized. Their authority was destabilized by the gospel and those who loved Yeshua and were, were preaching his word and were preserving it and teaching. And so they've had people coming to them and said, what do we do? What do we do? And that's, they had to start building up, fortify what it meant to be 
Israel without Yeshua. And, and, and part of that motive is to inoculation. Oh, you know what? When you hear about Jesus dying on the cross, really, you have to realize that Rabbi Akiva, it was the Rome, the Romans were tearing his flesh with iron combs, and he was reciting the Shema in his love of God. And he gave his soul uh, as the greatest commandment while he died, even though the Romans were were. But the the thing is, they're trying to say, this is like almost 100 years after Yeshua died and, and was crucified, right? So the idea, the, the idea of understanding that the rabbis are building a religion in a Christianized world, in a Christianized, in a Jewish Christianized world, what I mean that, I mean like when I say Christianized Jews, I mean gospel-believing Jewish world. They're, that's where they're trying to bring a stable vision for a future Israel that is gospel free. And that's not their only agenda. They are also dealing, especially with the Babylonian Talmud, they're dealing with Zoroastrianism. Right. They're dealing with other religions as well. And then, of course, you know, a couple hundred but, years after the, that, the rise of Islam. They're dealing with yeah, Islam. This, so a this lot is, of the medieval Midrashim are, are dealing with, with Islam. They're not, and this is not necessary. Look, the, the oral Torah does have, like, what was Judaism, the Judaism, uh, the Judaisms of the times trying to do? Exactly what Rob just said. They're trying to insulate themselves so that so because they're losing members or they're, they're you know, much, uh, this can be likened to, to today as well. When I was when I was growing up in the '90s, I didn't have to worry about uh, you know all of the all of the voices from the chat rooms on Facebook. I didn't have to worry about all the stuff that I would read on uh, you know in all the different chat groups. Now, with the invention of the internet, my children have to deal with the fact that there is there is a voice that will tell you anything you want to hear. Exactly. The, They'll tell you that 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 women can become men and that men can become women. They'll tell you that there's no such thing as God. They'll tell you all sorts of stuff. And the thing is, is that this is a completely. And so, what are what do we see a lot of of uh, Christian parents doing? They're trying to insulate their children from the things around them. And this is exactly what the Judaism's of the time were doing. They're saying, "Look at all these things going around. Our children are going to be influenced by Christianity, by Islam, by you know all these other religions." So what do we do? We solidify. We write and we solidify and we do that and we and we create a standard. And guess what? That is what the Mishnah and the Talmud have done. And they did it long after Christ was on earth. But here's and here's the here's the, the strongest claim is like, well, ours is first. Why? How do you how, prove it? Well, it, I, it's oral. Right. Our, ours was first. Well, you don't have it in writing. Show me the receipts. Well, it's an oral tradition that's that we never wrote it down. We're forbidden from writing it down, and it goes all the way back to Moses. So there, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and then the and then the and then the disciple of Yeshua is supposed to go. Oh man, he has an oral tradition that goes all the way back to Moses. And oh, I guess, I guess he's got me. <laughs> well, let's let's go back. Let's go back to our modern day our modern day example. You know, if I were to say, look, we're going to write a standard. Let's just call it. I don't know the 1689 Baptist Confession. We're gonna we're gonna write a standard that's going to keep all Christians, uh, you know, according to the same to the same uh, standard. So you write the 1689 Baptist Confession. 
And guess what happens? Everybody says, well, okay, that's one voice, but you know, the Lutherans over here, you know, the Methodists over here, the, you know, whatever. I'm, you know, this is just a voice. So what the Baptists have to do is say, this actually wasn't written in 1689. This goes back to, to Moses. We've had it the whole time. It is of, it's divine. It's of God. Now, all of a sudden, people have to say, okay, well, if this is actually of God, then it must be true. So this is the one. This is the standard. The exact same thing happens in, in Judaism, except for it's not, it's not uh, something that we're making up. This actually happens. They say, how do we make this stick so that, the, so that they'll stop listening to Islam? This, this it, happens with the, you know, another one, when you get into these rabbinic, messianic, rabbinic, Hasidic communities that start using the Zohar. Right, they think the Zohar is some like also text that goes back, because okay, so you don't even need the Jewish Christian debate. You, we can just zero in just on the Jewish world, and then look at those who who say the Zohar is divine, is holy holy word of God, and those Orthodox Jews who reject that idea, and those are going to be and and in broad brushstrokes, it's like there are real strong followers of. Maimonides, who are more philosophical, they reject Kabbalah, they reject the Sefirot, they reject amulets and stuff like that. And then you go into the world of the ultra the the Haredim, you know, and the ultra orthodox Hasidim that are Kabbalists, and they they totally are into amulets and right. um, yes. and the emanations of of God and the, the Sefirot and the and the Zohar. They see the Zohar is Hakadosh; it's a holy Zohar. Right. And that it that it go that it was written by Shimon Bar Yochai in the second century, right? Well, the problem is the same thing. They're doing the same. the The Kabbalists do the same thing with the Zohar that the rabbis wanted to do with the Mishnah. They they give it an oral a back backstory because they because they don't have any receipts. You know, my dog ate my homework kind of thing. Right. <laughs> so, but with the Zohar, what's funny? There's even. Jewish scholars that show, wow, in the Zohar, there's places where it it does little midrash on the vowel pointings and the accents, <laughs> and they didn't; those didn't exist until right. like 10th century Tiberius, you know, ninth or 10th century. And not only that, the Masoretic vowel points are mod modifications from what the Syriac Aramaic speaking Christians were doing. So. But yet, if you take the Zohar at face value, the claims of the Zohar, it's it's oral book. It's a book that was composed by, you know, a thousand years ago or whatever, you know, second right. century. I mean, a thousand years, 1500 years from the time of the printing of the Zohar or whatever. Um, that, that it's authoritative Torah taught by a second century rabbinic sage, Shimon Bar Yochai, and, but yet that those vowel points did not exist back then. I mean, there's just one example. There's so many examples, but even, you know, we're in the County of the Omer. Guess what happens on the 33rd day of the County of the Omer? Huge bonfires, the Lagba right. Omer, all celebrating uh, Shimon Bar Yochai as this, as this great sage, um, and of course, Luria, Isaac Luria was, was, was said to be a reincarnation. That's another thing, reincarnation. So all these things are get woven into where you have Kabbalistic rabbis teaching reincarnation from the Torah. Right. As if it's a given. 
And that's problematic because it's like, wait a minute. It's, it's, you know, why <laughs> you just keep putting, you know, backdating everything, you know? Um, so anyway, I kind of got in the weeds on that. The, it's okay. The, 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 the is, ultimate, yeah. Ultimately I want to go back to, to, to Timothy here. The point that I would make is simply this. You got somebody who's, who's fully bought into the notion that the oral Torah was around in the first century and, and before, and because they're fully bought into that, um, there's there's really only one response that we that we as uh, as if you that is if Timothy is taking the same position that we are, which is that the oral Torah is is a late invention long after the first century. If you take that view, then uh, you have the strongest argument because the onus is not on you to prove that the oral Torah was not around in the first century. It is on those who claim it was. You have to give me proof. Show me proof that the Mishnah and the Talmud were extant in the first century, just in oral... In oral uh, the best they can do is say, well, the rabbis told me it is. Yeah, exactly. That, that's the best they can do. And the, that's because they're coming from a position of weakness right. in terms of historical chronology. Yeah. You know, it, it's... Um, I believe it because the rabbi said it said it is so. Yeah, and and if you're there then you've got bigger problems than just right. than quibbling over this, you know, it's Because the rabbis also said that Yeshua was uh not the Messiah and that he was an apostate. So, and they've held that position for 2000 years. Exactly. So, I yeah. guess you could go and tell the rabbis, well, you don't really understand your own Mishnah, because it actually points to Jesus. You know, you're, you're <laughs> right. I mean, except you for know. that part about him burning in hell and excrement, right? I, I mean, anyway. Okay, let's uh, let's move. Let's move on. Um, I think we have time for one more. So let's move. This one is an easy one. Oh, or a quick one, I should say. Maybe not an easy one. It's a it's a quick one, and then we can possibly be, possibly move to Galatians three three as well. Truth Hitman wrote to us, and he says, "Is it true that ancient Egyptians practiced circumcision years before the Israelites?" Yes, it is. Uh, they didn't practice it in the same way. Uh, the according to the things that I have read on uh, Egyptian circumcision is that uh, it was a single slit. Uh, that the foreskin was not actually uh, taken away, but that it was just cut. Uh, I don't know what evidence has been shown for that, but that is what I have read. Um, and there was other forms of circumcision, if we want to call it circumcision. Um, there, there was there was other forms of circumcision in the in the first century. Uh, of course, Israel was the first to in at least once again I'm not well read on on the uh, evidence for this all I can tell you is what I've read in in uh, in the historical uh, in the in the history books uh, is that the uh, that there was circumcision uh, but it was not the same as as Israel's circumcision and that Israel actually cut away the foreskin uh, which was different than the surrounding nations. And so there, there was a difference in the circumcision. And I think that the form itself, the cutting away of the uh, foreskin, is in fact the sign. And I think that that's, it, not only is it different from the surrounding cultures, but it is it is the sign of the virgin birth, in my opinion. So uh, th that that is, that's the, that's the point, is that uh, yes, there were forms of circumcision in other 
cultures, but uh, they were different. And I think that that is a significant uh, piece to the puzzle. Yeah. And you can look on, uh, if you go to, if, if you don't have it in like a, an accordance, you can go online and find old, probably translations of Philo of Alexandria or Josephus. And if they're searchable text, you can just look up like circumcise or circumcision or circumcised, you know, different ways, forms of the verb. And, uh, and they both write of that, you know, and I think, I think in against Appion, that's a, one of Josephus works. He cites, I think like Herodotus and like he, he cites some other Greek authors that are talking about circumcision and different peoples that had practiced, uh, circumcision back. And now, of course, those are first century sources, but they're from the Jewish world more specifically, from the Mediterranean Jewish world more specifically. Um, in terms of ancient Egypt, yeah, I think there is some, I some, you know, I don't know if it's pyramid paintings or some sort of iconography that reflects some sort of um, cutting or something. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, it, it, and and you'll also see, I think it might be in Philo where he's where he talks about a health benefit, right? So then you see something that's not in the Torah, you know. Right. Uh, you see, like, oh, you know, we do this because of some sort of health result, or in this, as if it's the same as like how people approach the dietary laws. Oh, these are there's like a health benefit. It's not just because it's a commandment, but there's actually right. a health benefit. So then you can argue somebody like, oh, do it because it's healthy, not because God commanded it kind of thing, you know? So anyway, yeah. Was there anything else on that? Or I think that's it. Um, we could do, uh, how quick do you think the Galatians 3.3 conversation is going to be? Oh, remind me, remind me that one. Aaron says, you say sanctification is a dual work. Then how do you interpret Galatians 3.3? Galatians 3.3 reads, are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the ideology of the circumcision party was that that's how you, that's how a person got in. Gained salvation yeah, or so gained you, so, covenant so in access. Other words, yeah. Uh, that you you were made perfect. That it was an act that made you perfect. So that therefore the uncircumcised male is not acceptable before God. Um, and then only, you know, and then, you know, you have the whole issue of the eighth day circumcision. You know, right. if you weren't circumcised on the eighth day. Uh, and that was a, that was an issue. So the whole issue of of circumcision in the first century, it's not a simple I idea. Different groups are using that symbol in different to have different meanings, right? You know? And so, um, and we've talked at length about this, by the way. Yeah, and and for Paul, and in the in the Gospels, and Paul, circumcision is 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 a commandment. That's what it is. But it's not it. But it is not a. It's not a mark of perfection. Right for the individual who's circumcised, it's, it's it's not your free pass to get into into covenant relationship with God. Yeah, because Esau yeah. was circumcised, right? Right. Or Ishmael, Ishmael was circumcised. Esau was circumcised. Paul kind of gets at this a little bit in in Romans. You was know, Esau that, circumcised? Wait, Esau. I think we're out of order here. 
Yeah, well, Ishmael first. So Ishmael was circumcised with Abraham, right? And then um, Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob, and they're both circumcised. Right, 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 right. right. Okay. So circumcision does not, uh, you know, Saul uh, or the King Saul of Benjamin, right? The first king of Israel. I mean, now it never tells us he that, oh, his mom circumcised him, but it's just presumed that he's circumcised because he has David go and circumcise, what, 200 Philistine men to, to so he could, David could earn his, you know, as a dowry for his daughter. So they're dealing with a culture where, in that instance, the Philistines were not circumcised, obviously, or at least not, uh, what do you call it, completely removed or cut away. Uh, because David indeed comes back with like 200 <laughs> foreskins. So, <laughs> but I, the idea I, I, is circumcision does not perfect a person. But what Paul's right. dealing with in Rome and Galatians, he's these people that are, are being taught that this is somehow their salvation. Right. You know, they're going to they're going to receive this mark of circumcision and they're going to be transformed and acceptable within a new community as righteous and has nothing to do with the sin problem has nothing to do with the gospel of Yeshua. I so I I'm going to I'm going to plug my own work here. Uh, coming out, I believe tomorrow or Friday is going to be a video that I did. It's about a half an hour long, and it's on evidence from the first century that uh, the term circumcision was used as a shorthand for a conversion process. So you'll be able to find that nice. on pronomian, pronomian.com uh, and on my personal YouTube channel. Um, and I, I, what I did was I went through uh, my own commentary on Acts and just talked about uh, the different references that I have. Caleb's going to comment on, it. comment on his own commentary. That's right. That's exactly a, what I did. It's, exactly it's a super what I did. commentary. It's a super commentary. All right. So that's going to be it for us for today. If you have something that you want us to talk about or a question that you want us to address, please uh, feel free to shoot us an email, see how you get to our resource.com, C-H-E-G-G at resource.com. You can also call our, our comment line. You won't talk to us. You will get a uh, answering machine, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. Please don't forget to subscribe to this YouTube channel. If you are not already subscribed, it does help us. I know that sounds weird, but it does help us. And uh, yeah, we, uh, we are grateful for everyone, including those in the chat room today. All right, so we hope that this conversation has done at least one thing. That is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Well, you know why. Because Messiah matters.